الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المسلمين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم So continuing where we left off last week the last uh, hadith that we had covered the lesson that we had learned from it was that the Prophet ﷺ, he served the home when he was at home he was busy in the service of his ho- of his household and we learned that uh, and so from that we take that it is sunnah rewarded it's actually prophetic to be in the service of the household and of the family and how that brings tremendous love into the house into the home so um, this is the hadith that we're covering today and it's the same hadith as last week but as I had mentioned we're going to be covering the second portion of the hadith last week we only covered the first portion so just to recite the hadith عن الأسود بن يزيد رضي الله تعالى عنه سألت عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها ما كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصنع في البيت قالت كان في مهنة أهله فإذا سمع الأذان خرج so this translation roughly is as I asked Aisha, Aswad, he asked Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu what did the Prophet used to do in his home? Meaning, what was he like at home? And she responded by saying, he used to be in the service of his family, and when he heard the adhan, he would go out for prayer. So today we're going to cover primarily the second portion of the hadith, which is that when the Prophet sallallahu heard the call for prayer, he heard the adhan, he would go out for prayer. Um, So what are a few background points that are important for us to understand before we return to the hadith and derive lessons from it? There is obviously, this is a very loaded hadith, right? We talked about last time how we can take so many lessons from it. Uh, But let's go over a few background points. The first background point to understand is that the masjid, it's actually an extension of the home. The masjid is actually an extension of the home. So we tend to think about a masjid as a separate space from the home. But there's another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which Allah Ta'ala says, uh, in which the Prophet ﷺ says that the masjid is for every righteous believer, it is the home. It is the home of every righteous believer. And Allah Ta'ala, for that believer who treats the masjid like their own home, He grants that person comfort and He grants that person, uh, you could say, refreshment and ease. This is a hadith, it's a a different hadith, not one that we're covering today. But the masjid is an extension of the home. So by that token, some of the things that are necessary within the home, we get from the masjid. And some of the benefits that we can derive within the home, they come from the masjid based upon this principle. You know, um, um, we all have places that extend the home for us, right? Places of comfort. So for some of us, maybe it's our friend's house, right? When we need to get out of the house, where do we go? We may go to our friend's home, we may go to the mall, we may go to the park, we may go to work, we may go to school. But for the believer, the righteous believer, that place of comfort where, they, where it is that space that they can go to when their home is, uh, needs to be left, it's, it's the masjid. Okay, so the second background point is that the masjid is a source of barakah for the home. 
The masjid is a source of barakah for the home. Um, you know, uh, what I mean by this is that when we leave the home to come to the masjid, we tend to think of the masjid as something that's benefiting me. Like, I'm going to go to the masjid, I'm going to earn, earn reward for the salah that I pray there and the traveling that I do back and forth, and then that's it, that's the end of it. But the masjid is far more than that, it's the house of Allah. And it's almost like you can say the headquarters of a city by which barakah is then dispersed to the communities, uh, to the households that are within that community. You know, you have uh, Makkatul Mukarramah, you have the Kaaba, which is the house of Allah, that's like corporate headquarters. From there, it's distributed to all the other masajid in the world. And then within each community, the masjid becomes a source of spiritual energy for the house and for the family. So we should begin to think about the masjid as a way by which we actually go and, and bring things home. Let me give you an example. You know, when we think about physical nourishment, the, if we stayed at home all the time, eventually our groceries would run out and we wouldn't be able to cook food, right? Eventually someone has to make a run to the grocery store, bring back the supplies that are needed to continue to generate physical nourishment for the family. And so for the household, spiritual nourishment is just as important as physical nourishment. And, and while salah and dhikr and Qur'an, etc. can be sources of barakah that are internally generated within the home, that bring blessing and barakah and love and peace and serenity within the home, eventually someone has to go bring more barakah from elsewhere, and that is sourced from the masjid. Okay, so that's background point number two. Background point number three is that each visit to the masjid provides benefit. Each individual visit to the masjid provides benefit. You know, there's, uh, there's other hadith that reference how every time a person goes to the masjid, for instance, and they come back, that a feast is prepared for that person in Jannah. So what that means is that it isn't necessarily just the fact that I live in a community that has a masjid that is now the source of benefit for me. And it's not that if I go once a week or once a month and that's sufficient, or, or that is equivalent to if I go five times a day. The reality is each individual visit that I make to the masjid, in particular for salah, in and of itself provides a benefit for me, and it provides an opportunity for me to take barakah with me and bring it home to my family. So that's the third point. You know, think about it again, the grocery store example. If I go to the grocery store once a year, I'm, going, I'm, I'm probably not going to have an adequately um, a store, uh, an adequate supply for my own home. But if I go to the grocery store five times a day, let's just say, I'm, there's no way I'm going to have missing items in my fridge. I'm going to have milk. I'm going to have eggs. I'm going to have all of these things because inevitably I'm going to bring these things home. So spiritually as well, there will be no void left in the home if I'm consistently going to the masjid and bringing things back. All right, so that's the, 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 the third background point. Okay, so let's return now to this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ again. So, Al-Aswad states, I asked Aisha, what did the Prophet ﷺ used to do at home? She said he used to be in the service of his family, and when he heard the adhan, he would then go out for prayer. So this is narrated in Sahih Bukhari. Okay, so, what, uh, what do we, so, so what's happening here? Aisha is essentially saying, radiallahu anha, that when the Prophet ﷺ was at home, he was busy. He would serve his family, he would take care of the house, he would do things that you could say would seem to be above and beyond him, right? But this is the Prophet ﷺ, he would do it himself, and he would facilitate things. But as soon as the call for Adhan was, was he would hear it, immediately that's, this would stop. He would just immediately leave for his Salah. It would become a point of interruption for his service. So, what are the lessons that we learn? 
The first lesson that we take from this segment of the hadith is that the time for salah when it comes in, or let's say salah in general, but the adhan, which indicates the time for salah, this uh, salah, when the time comes in for salah, it supersedes all other activities within the home, or all other activities, period. But in the context of this general discussion, it supersedes all activities within the home. You know, if there was something that would stop activity in the home of the Prophet ﷺ, it'd be the call for prayer. It wouldn't be, you know, all these other things, like it's time for a show, or it's time for, uh, uh, it's time for dinner, it's time for X, Y, and Z. When the call for Salah came, the Prophet ﷺ would then make his way to the masjid. And so in the same way, if there's one thing that interrupts us, um, it's, it's Salah, right? Our, our uh, approach is that we pray when it's convenient for us, right? But the reality is that the, the paradigm is completely different in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. The second lesson that we take from this hadith is that Rasulullah's default was to pray in the masjid. Rasulullah his default was to pray in the masjid, right? Because when the, when the Prophet was home, and now the adhan is called, he would then go for salah. And this is something I think that we, we tend not to appreciate within our community. And that is that salah, uh, the default salah, the Prophet was in the masjid. And if there was a circumstance that wouldn't allow him to pray in the masjid, then he wouldn't pray in the masjid. For us, it's kind of the opposite, right? Our default salah is the salah that we perform at home. And if there's an opportunity for us to go to the masjid, then we go to the masjid. But this isn't what we see from this hadith and other hadith of the Prophet So what we learn, what we learn from this is that the default so optimal salah, which is the sunnah salah, is the salah that's performed in the masjid. Okay, what's the third lesson that we take from this hadith? Or one of the, the third lesson on, on this list? is that proximity to the masjid facilitates frequent visitation of the masjid. Proximity to the masjid, it facilitates frequent visitation to the masjid. Look, the reality is, the closer I live to something, more likely I'm going to be able to frequent it. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ, if we look historically and even present day, where the Prophet ﷺ, for instance, is buried, is where his home is, he would literally be able to slide the curtain and be able to see the masjid. That's how close the Prophet ﷺ was. It was a priority for him to, to live very close to the masjid because it makes it easier <coughs> to actually visit the masjid frequently. So this is an important lesson for us when, for instance, we're at a stage where we're looking for a new place, where we're looking to move, or we're looking for a place to live, or maybe I have to now relocate to a different town or different city. You know, we tend to look at where is the nearest grocery store, <laughs> how far is the gas station from me, how far is Costco, how far are the schools, how far is the interstate. These are all things that we consider. But at the top of the list should be how far away am I from the masjid. Because the reality is, the further away I am, I'm not going to go as often. The closer I am, the more likely it is I'm going to frequent the masjid. That's just, that's a, you can say it's a fact. No matter what our level of iman, etc. is, it's a fact. The closer I live, the more likely it is I'll go to the masjid. And we mentioned in the background point that even a single visit to the masjid will be, is, is, is more valuable than anything that this, the, the world contains. In fact, once uh, many years ago, I was um, looking for uh, a place to live and um, I had consulted with my teacher. And one option was a place that was basically just across the masjid. And another option was maybe, you know, a mile away, not too far, also relatively close. And both, you could say, you know, practical, it's close to the masjid, they had the amenities, etc. The cost of the one closer to the masjid was a little bit more. 
So I had consulted just my teacher for mashwara, just for an opinion. And he had said, look, the reality is even if by living in the place closer to the masjid, you caught one extra salah in the entire time you lived there, one year, two year, five year, even if you caught one extra salah in jama'ah and congregation, it would be worth for you to choose this place over the other. That's how valuable one, uh, uh, one salah is in the masjid, and that's facilitated by how close we are to the masjid. So that's the third lesson that we take. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to conclude here with just two practice points that we can take from this hadith. Okay, the first practice point is that we should, in order to facilitate timely salah, in general for the household and salat for men in the or for the adult men in the masjid we should tr- uh, we should set up some sort of a system one system that may be practical is to have the adhan played audibly within the home one of the advantages of this is that that way everyone within the house knows that now the time for salah has started it's not ideal we don't hear it live you know with, maybe the reward isn't as great but at least as a trigger for me and for everyone in the house to know that look, the time for salah has come in, now my timer has started and the quicker I perform salah, the better it is for me. Uh, regular adhan five times a day that goes on within the home, ideally live if someone in the house can do it, but if not a recording, have the adhan play within the home five times a day, it will begin to remind us of the time for salah. And it will be easier for us to follow the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, which is that we should interrupt our activities when the time comes in. Okay, the second practice point, and this is kind of a lengthier discussion, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to summarize it as best as possible. Uh, and I've written here on the slide uh, that for the men, we should try to prioritize praying Fajr and Isha in the masjid at the bare minimum. And for, for women, we should prioritize within the home uh, timely Salah. And both of these will... Uh, follow this hadith of the Prophet and as I'll explain in a moment both of these will facilitate tremendous barakah and love entering within the home okay so let's go to the first one which is that prioritize for the men both Fajr and Isha in the masjid why these two salahs in particular obviously every salah is ideal in the masjid but there's many hadith that specifically reference these two salahs. One hadith mentions that a person that performs these two salahs in congregation gets the reward as if they pray the entire night Another hadith where the Prophet says that the, the salah that people go to the masjid for in darkness, meaning the salah at nighttime, Fajr and Isha in particular, that it's, um, these are, um, like he conveys glad tidings because they, this will become a source of light on the day of resurrection. So these two are very valuable salahs. And the other reason I'm mentioning it in the context of the discussion of filling the home with love is because this tends to be the time that's most convenient for people. Like, you know, we're not usually at work at those times. We're not usually attending to the children. It's late enough and early enough that we don't have other responsibilities. So it's a very practical thing to do. And so we should make it a priority to try to pray these salah in the masjid. Now, this is important for, for, for men to do this, but this is a responsibility for women to encourage the adult men within the house to do so as well. You know, sometimes it'll be, it'll be that maybe... Uh, the, the women will discourage men from going to the masjid because that means less time in the home, less time with the children, less time with the family, etc. Uh, but the reality is that, um, that there's tremendous barakah that the, that the father, let's say, or the husband brings home when they go to the masjid. So it shouldn't be that men are restricted from going. I mean, obviously the circumstance is different and this, this mainly applies, inshallah, uh, outside of, let's say, uh, our current health situation. But 
the more the women within the house and the families within the house encourage men to go to the masjid and pray, the better it is for everyone. The better it is for everyone. Because this isn't just about benefiting that one individual we mentioned before. This is about bringing barakah and blessing into the home as well. And that facilitates so many things. So, uh, you know, we can think about Fajr and Isha for the man. It's the equivalent of like tucking in the children at night and being up before everyone having the house ready. Right? Like, before, let's say after, let's say in the evening before going to bed, I make sure the doors are locked. I uh, make sure the lights are turned off. I make sure the fridge is stocked with the things that are necessary. I feel like, you know, the, this gives me a feeling of like, wow, you know, this is my responsibility, right? So I've taken care of the physical and uh, physical, the security, the needs of the, of the family. But if I've neglected their spiritual needs, well, I mean, what, what, what kind of a person am I? But if I also attend to the spiritual needs and say, look, I, now before we go to bed, someone needs to go to the masjid, bring barakah home so that we can properly tuck in the children over the course of the night, it carries a lot of value. And if I'm the first one up in the morning, let's say as the man, and I'm going to the masjid and bringing in things, just like if I go to the grocery store at 6 a.m. and stock up all the things that my wife needs for the day, how happy she'd be, right? In the same way, if I go to Fajr in the morning and I bring all these things, all this barakah home, I now have facilitated, I, I've now uh, supported my responsibility as the father or as the husband or as the adult uh, child of the house. So we should think about it in this way and the whole family should facilitate th these individuals uh, to go to the masjid. Now, the argument sometimes is that, well, when you go to the masjid, you spend you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, two hours there. The point isn't to go to the masjid, pray, then pray all the sunnahs, extra nawafil, socialize for a half an hour outside and then come home. It's to go and at the bare minimum, perform the fard salah and come home as soon as possible. Obviously, if you need to pray sunnah, that's fine. But um, so that's that. And then the second point I mentioned is that for the women in particular, how we uh, practically use this hadith is that we should make it a priority to pray salah uh, on time within the home. You know, if, if, um, if we recognize the value that salah has in producing, uh, in attracting barakah and attracting love within the home, uh, then I will think of it as a mother, let's say, or as a wife or as an, a daughter, for instance, that look, this is my way of providing provision for my family as well. I'm going to take care of dinner. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to bring in income, whatever it might be. But I'm also by perform by valuing salah. What I'm basically telling Allah is, a, Ya Allah, I know what con what was contained within your salah. I'm going to prioritize it and perform it in a timely manner so that everyone, my children, my spouse, my uh, whoever else lives within the home also benefits. Because we know that ill behavior, misconduct, uh, all of these things are eliminated by the presence of salah. So it's important for, in the way, same way the Prophet interrupted everything for salah, for, for the women right within the household to interrupt all activities when the time for salah comes in and place it at a high value, recognizing that this is a source of barakah and blessing and, and this will be a way by which love can be spread within the home. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to benefit from uh, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us consistent in our salah and allow us to visit the masjid frequently. Uh, and, and, uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and our families. Wa akhru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.